Jewish audio on Chabad.org. Okay, so welcome to the 12-step program for a better life. The premise is that in order to make the most of life, we have to fulfill our destiny, especially if we are Jewish people and we have a special mission and a special purpose. So it's a really good idea for us to know exactly who we are and what our destiny is. And once you understand who you are and what your destiny is and what your purpose is, and you have it boiled down into 12 simple steps, it should be a little easier to actualize. Now, over the ages, there have been great sages, great luminaries, who have introduced codification. The Torah, by its very definition, is not a square document. The Bible, the Chumash, meanders. It's got stories. It seems to be going all over the place. And we struggle sometimes to understand what is the essential message of the Torah. We have many, many commentaries. Many of our rabbis spent their lives trying to guide and help us understand the message of the Torah. And sometimes messages are best conveyed through a system of stories, sometimes metaphors. But codification, at some point, is very, very, very important. It's critical, in fact. Moshe Rabbeinu himself set out to codify the Torah, if you will, or, or consolidate the Torah in the last six weeks of his life. So he spent his whole life teaching the Jewish people Torah, at least his life since he became Moshe Rabbeinu. And then in the last six weeks of his life, last five weeks, Moshe Rabbeinu, beginning on Rosh Chodesh Adar, until the seventh day, Rosh Chodesh Shvat, until the seventh day of Adar, restated the entire Torah. His restatement of Torah is called Mishnah Torah. Mishnah Torah has no stories, it has no metaphors. Mishnah Torah is filled with exhortation. Here's what God wants from you. Bang, bang, bang. Here's what you did wrong. Here's what you shouldn't do again. And Moshe Rabbeinu reinstated the Torah so that a new generation who had not been at Mount Sinai, many of whom had not experienced Exodus firsthand in a personal way, would be able to take the message of Torah and carry it forward into establishing the commonwealth, the land of Israel. So that's what the greatest of teacher of all time did. He consolidated in the last five weeks of his life. We say about the Rambam, Mimosha ad Moshe, lo kam Moshe. From Moses, the son of Amram, Moshe Rabbeinu, until Moses, the son of Maimon, who is known as Rabbeinu Moshe Asfardi, from Moses to Moses there arose none like Moses that is actually written on the grave, the tomb of the Rambam. And we don't make jokes when we talk about gravestones. That's one thing people even today take pretty seriously. And that's, that's a very profound statement. Now, there were many great sages, some of whom it is said that Moshe Rabbeinu himself acknowledged were greater than he. For example, Rabbi Akiva, the prophets. And yet we speak about the Rambam in these terms because the Rambam codified Torah. What Moshe Rabbeinu did for the Bible or for the Pentateuch, for the five Chomoshim, by codifying with the last, the fifth book of the Torah, which is called Mishnah Torah, or restatement and recodification, the Rambam did this to Torah Shabbal Peh, to the oral tradition, which was only redacted in a formal body centuries after the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed by Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, the descendant of Hillel the Great, and then subsequently the Talmud develops, the Jerusalem Talmud, the Babylonian Talmud, very various codicils of the Talmud, the Gaonic writings, 
the Rambam consolidated. Besides consolidating or restating the concept of oral Torah, which he called Mishnah Torah, borrowing the same name as Moshe Rabbeinu used, the Rambam also codified basic principles. Like, for example, what do we believe in? The Rambam wrote, he says, here's Yud Gimel Ikre Yamuna. Here is the 12 basic principles that Jewish people believe in. Here's what you need to believe if you want to be a Torah Jew. And other things like this. So, in this, in this lecture series, I would like to suggest that our Rebbe restated the basic principles, or basic steps to development and success as a Jew. He boiled it down into 12 points. It's a 12 step program. And the 12 step program is called the Yud Beis Psukim. And I'm not going to give the general overview of the Yud Beis Psukim. That's a lecture in and of itself. But since this is the first of the 12 Psukim, the first of the 12 passages, I'm only briefly going to tell with you that exactly 40 years ago. And that number is meaningful because Moshe Rabbeinu in the Torah says about the 40th year that Hashem did not give you Lev Lodas Reinayim Lires. He didn't give you the eyes to see. He didn't give you the knowing heart. He didn't give you the ears to hear, to understand the full essence of the Torah until 40 years passed. So there's something about the 40-year mark, reaching a full appreciation of something. Only 40 years after studying, 40 years after seeing and hearing and listening and understanding, only then did we reach the fruition. So here we are exactly 40 years after the Rebbe introduced this concept of yud based Pesukim. Now many people think that the 12 passages were designed by the Rebbe to educate children. And to be sure, in 1976, the Rebbe did declare it a year of Torah education, and he did talk much about the notion of everybody working more on the idea of education, including children. The children should also be made into educators. They should also inspire. They should also teach. They should also engage with others. Having said this, it is abundantly clear to me, even though I can't tell you, I can't quote you chapter and verse, it's abundantly clear to me that the 12 psukim are not simply for children, but the 12 psukim are really the basic 12 steps for Yiddishkeit development. Judaism simplified into 12 easy steps. Once you get these 12 steps in place, it should be relatively easy. At least, if not easy, it should be a straightforward journey. But we have it, we have it charted out. I, I will note that we are entering the seventh day of Tammuz tonight. Seventh day of Tammuz. And on the seventh day of Tammuz, 40 years ago, there was a group of Israeli sailors who visited the Rebbe in, in gleaming white uniforms. They had arrived in New York Harbor to celebrate the... American Centennial in 1976 and they were representing Israel and they came to visit the Rebbe and the Rebbe greeted them all individually and he gifted them each with a siddur with a prayer book and he gave them each a booklet of the 12 psukim so if the 12 psukim was only for children why did the Rebbe give it to a group of soldiers they were not children the army is not child's play but I don't even know if you need that proof the, the bottom line is if, if the Rebbe, the great Rebbe, our great Rebbe, thought, okay, here is the 12 passages, 12, 12 passages that basically embody and, and uh, represent an overarching snapshot of what Judaism is, what we need to do to reach our own fruition, our own maturation and development, 
it's uh, abundantly uh, Im- easy to understand that if we will study these 12 psukim carefully, we will all be empowered and enriched as a result. Any questions about that? That kind of makes sense? Kind of makes sense to me. I don't know. So if... You, if, if uh, sorry? Chabad Anonymous, right. <laughs> That's like Yiddishkeit Anonymous. Yiddishkeit Anonymous. That's right, yeah. You know, it's, it's for everybody. Yeah, and, and, how, and how does the 12-step plan work? It works where people help each other. Where people don't lecture. Nobody's lectured to, but rather people who are on the same level are able to help each other. The whole idea of the 12 psukim is you don't have to be lectured at or to. You have to simply listen to these 12 passages, and if you absorb them, and absorb their message, then you're going to be able to appreciate what we have to do and how we should be successful. Anyway, that's just a tiny little introduction, and I promise you there will be a fuller overarching lecture about the whole youth-based psukim and the way first Rebbe introduced six, and then waited a few weeks and introduced another six, and how the second six were edited, a whole talk was edited that didn't show up, that somehow disappeared mysteriously for 38 years and only showed up two years ago to be printed for the first time. We'll talk about that at a different time. So the first passage, the first pasuk, there's two psukim from the Torah, there's, there's two statements from the Mishnah, and then there are two passages from the teachings of Chassidus. That's the first six, and then that order repeats itself. It seems reasonable to me to say that the first of the 12 psukim, the first step, would be the most important step. That would be the foundation of everything. Step one. Here's how you begin your Jewish journey. Here's how you as a Jew can begin to live a better life. What is the most important pasuk? What's the most important verse in the entire Torah? The undisputed, most profound verse in the whole Torah. Believe in Hashem. Believe in Hashem, okay. Anybody else want to make a suggestion? Huh? You would say the same? You would say the beginning, that Hashem created the world? You would say Shema Yisrael? These are all good suggestions. These are all good suggestions. It's a good, it's a reasonable suggestion to say that the most important verse in the Torah of all would be a declaration of faith. In fact, that's how God introduced himself to us. When we had mass revelation, and we actually heard this from Hashem, he said, Anochi Hashem Elokecha. I am the Lord your God. Somebody said, Shema Yisrael. Shema Yisrael is a declaration of Jewish faith. Maybe that's really the most important thing. Our declaration of faith. Here's what we believe in. Maybe it should be a passage that talks about a passage, a verse that addresses the importance of toil or hard work. Or maybe education. So the very first pasuk, which would be the foundation of everything, is only found at the very end of the Torah. It's true, Bereshit is a very important verse, but that shows up in a number of passages from now. That's only passage number seven. The first passage, the first pasuk, is from the last portion of the Torah, which is called Vizot HaBracha. And in this final portion of the Torah, Moshe Rabbeinu has concluded his exhortation for the Jewish people, and he spends his final terrestrial moments blessing Am Yisrael. It's his last chance to do so. And that's how the Torah introduces this last and final parsha. There are no mitzvot. There are no commandments here. 
there are, it would seem, no declarations of faith here. There are just blessings. This is the blessing. That's how the Parsha gets introduced. Deuteronomy chapter 33. This is the blessing that Moses, Isha Lakim, man of God, blessed the Jewish people with before his earthly passing. What's the first thing he talks about when he wants to invoke blessing? The first thing before actually giving the blessing is saying, Jewish people are worthy of being blessed. Before he blesses them, he states the case. He makes the case for their being blessed. And what is the most glorious moment? What is our highest point as a nation? The highest point for us as a nation is Revelation at Sinai. That, that was our zenith. All of us, together, united, listening to the word of Hashem, receiving divine revelation at a personal level. Well, that's what Moshe Rabbeinu does. He says, you see, you see they're worthy? He talks about Mount Sinai. He talks about the Jewish people receiving the Torah. He talks about how God showered us with love and affection, with care and concern, with sensitivity, how God came forth from Mount Sinai after having offered the Torah to other nations, some of which specifically have a genetic link to Avram Avinu, like the people of Yishmael, or the Edomites coming from Yishmael ben Avram, or Esav ben Yitzchak, and they refuse it. And just, just like a chosen who goes out for the, for, for the chuppah, Hashem goes out with the angels and he greets the Jewish people and he brings us under the chuppah. This is all beautiful. Okay. And then we say in, in, in verse 3 that Af Chovev Amim, that Hashem has shown his love for individual as as, as, as distinct nations, that we have all these different tribes, and that all the souls are so holy, they're all in Hashem's hand for safekeeping, and we are worthy of this love. The, we crowded under the mountain, and we did everything that Hashem wanted us to do, no matter where He told us to go, we went. And then, after making this whole big dis- statement, Moshe Rabbeinu says, Torah tzivala nu Moshe. Morashaki Lat Yaakov, which is altogether a funny verse because Moshe is talking about himself all of a sudden. He says the Torah that Moses commanded is a legacy, a heritage for the congregation of Jacob. And then he finishes off with one final verse talking about the profound power of Jewish unity. By Hebe Yeshurun Melech, Um, that God is always king over Yeshurun, which is another name for the Jewish people that when we are together and united, that's when we are worthy of blessing. And so, with this introduction, Moshe Rabbeinu begins his blessing of the Jewish people. The first or oldest of Jacob's children is Reuven. So the blessing begins to Reuven. So this is just a preamble. This is a preamble for the blessings. Moshe Rabbeinu is making the case of why we should be blessed. One could argue that on the Richter scale of Torah profundity, this would not measure very high. This does not have tremendous clout, tremendous impact. It's not Moshe Rabbeinu saying, here's what you must do, here's what you must believe, here's what I expect of you, what God expects of you. This doesn't say anything like that. He's recounting things we know already, and the purpose of saying these verses is simply to make the case, to make the case that the Jewish people are worthy of being blessed. So incredibly, 
the Rebbe said to us that the first step as Jewish people's fulfillment, the first step in our journey of destiny is this Pasuk. Chapter 33, verse 4. Torah That the Torah that Moses commanded us is the heritage, is the Morasha of Kehilat Yaakov. And I want to understand why. That's the purpose of tonight's class. What's so special about this verse? Why is that the most profound verse in the whole Torah? Now, it's true, it's true that we do have a Gemara in Masechet Sukkah. And the Gemara in Masechet Sukkah and Daf Membeis tells us that when a father is going to teach his child Torah, that he should begin the very first thing that he should begin with teaching him is the Pasuk of Torah Tzivalanu Moshe. Okay. And the Rambam quotes this in the context of Halacha, in Hilchas Talmud Torah, in the first chapter, in the sixth, he says, he says, when do you start teaching Torah? And, he, and his response is, when the child starts speaking, that's when you start to teach Torah, because communication is a sign of some understanding. The basic ability to communicate requires some kind of basic grasp of concepts. So when the child is able to speak, Melamdo, he teaches him Torah Tzivalonu Moshe. And the first Pasuk of Shema, which as I said, it's a Gemara in Sukkah, Dafim Beis, it's a Sifri, a Medrash Halacha, and Pasha's Ekev. Okay, so maybe it's advice for education. Maybe it's an easy verse for a child to swallow. Maybe the child can get Torah, Torah, Torah Tzivalonu Moshe. We have such cute songs about Torah Tzivalonu Moshe. Okay, fine, so little children should read that that's the easy pasuk for them to memorize or easy verse for them to learn. How is that the verse, the foundation, the beginning of the journey, the first and 12 steps for better living? I think that's a reasonable question. I think, I think it's a fair question. I think it's a question, if we don't have answered by the end of this class, we're in big trouble. Or certainly I am in big trouble. All right, so let's take a look at the Mepharshim. Let's see what do... Our sages tell us about this pasuk. Let's learn, let's learn this verse. So in learning this verse, there, aren't, there isn't that much in the Sifri, but in, in the Rishonim we have some really interesting statements about this verse. For example, and I'm, I'm, not, even, I'm not even going yet to Rashi. I'm not even going like, to learn the pasuk literally yet. But I'm looking for some kind of inspiration. I'm looking for something dynamic, something, something to wow us. As what's really going on here? What's the, what's the profound message behind this verse? So, in no particular order, I'm just going to like, you know, suggest that there are a number of Rishonim that emphasize the message of this Pasuk is one of toil, is one of ensuring that we're passing this on, passing on its legacy, it's about passing it on. So we have, for example, in the Sefer Hasidim, it says that Hashem commanded us, Torah Sivalanu, Torah, what Hashem commanded us that, that this should be Morasha Kehilas Yaakov. That this should be a Morasha, this should be a heritage. What does it mean should be a heritage? What does it mean should be an inheritance? So, first and foremost, inheritance is usually something that involves generations. We call the next generation, right? Next gen Jews. How are we going to make sure it's next gen Jews? So, the Sefer Hasidim says, choose your, choose your spouse carefully. That's because, you know, if you care about what the next generation will look like, don't just marry the man or woman who you think is going to give you a fun life. Marry the man or woman who you see yourself being able to build a family with. 
you see yourself being able to raise children with, make sure there's a next generation. And he says there's also an emphasis on us doing our part of hakel, of coming together, of gathering together, because when we're united, when we gather together, when we congregate, when we have communities, it enables Judaism to flourish and pass on to the next generation. This Sefer Hasidim even talks about the interplay or interaction between different levels of Jews, this Kohanim and Levites and then this Yisraelim and loosely stated today this is like the idea of those who teach Torah, those who support Torah teaching, those who toil in Torah that there's this interplay, there's this Kehillah of Yaakov, there's this congregation that represents different levels and we should all be working to support each other. The ones who are toiling to make a living or really a Yid doesn't make a living a Yid makes enough to create Yiddishkeit He's supposed to be making more than a living. He's supposed to be giving tzedakah. So he should be supported and inspired and engaged by the, the, the scholars of Torah. They shouldn't spurn him and say, just give me a check and move on. No, they should share with him the beauty of Torah. And that the person who's making the money and giving the tzedakah, he should give it with an open heart and he should do it gladly. There should be a synergy amongst the Jewish people. There should be a sense of we're in this together. Now that's very nice. But that doesn't make it the most profound verse in the Torah. And there are other verses in the Torah that one could argue make this statement more profoundly. Rabbeinu Tuvya, he said that the commandment here is that we should be mekabel, we should accept the Torah and we should keep it, we should v'nishmira, we're going to keep the Torah, we're going to watch it and guard it. And that's again, you know, there are verses in the Torah that speak about guarding the Torah and zealously protecting Torah and passing on to the next generation that are more direct that are more incisive, and, and that are more meaningful, it would seem on the surface. Rabbeinu Meir Meir Rottenberg said, and the Balaturim points out the same thing. He says that this idea of, it does say Morasha, it means this idea that there's an inheritance here. Here it says Morasha Kilos Yaakov, and in Parshat Ve'era it says, I gave you, Nasati Osalachem Morasha. I gave it to you as a Morasha, as a heritage. And we, really, these are the only two verses in the entirety of the Torah where we have this idea that Hashem gave us this as a, a, an inheritance or a heritage. And Rabbeinu Meir says that it doesn't say it's a Yerusha. A Yerusha is an inheritance. So if, if uh, Avram dies and leaves money for Yitzchak, Yitzchak got an inheritance. You know, there's a silly story of these children. He said, Zaidi, how did you get so rich? And Zaidi said, well, you know, I was just a little boy, and I finally, I got my first nickel, and I took that nickel, and I went out there, and I bought two apples with that nickel, and I shined the apples, and I shined the apples, and I shined them, and then in the evening, I sold each apple for a nickel. And the kids said, that's amazing. And what did you do the next day? He said, the next day I took all, both the 10 cents. He said, I bought two apples and I shined them and shined them all day. And at the end of the day, I had 20 cents. And what happened on the third day? On the third day, he said, Uncle Sidney died and left us a million dollars. Right? The inheritance is what you get. It's what you get. And the bar, Mayor Rottenberg says, it's not about what you get. Not, I don't, you don't get this for free. Inheritances are free. And oftentimes, people who inherit money are also jokingly uh, talked about as chemists because, you know, alchemy, people wanted to turn iron into gold, and they seem to have this great gift of turning gold back into iron. 
Like, you know, <laughs> inherit all the money and lose all the money, blow all the money because you didn't earn it and you don't really know how to hold on to it and you don't know how to appreciate it. Okay, so, so the Rebbe Rottenberg says, a person has to, when it says Morasha, it doesn't mean it's my inheritance. It's something you have to bequeath. You have to bequeath it to your children. Now, how can you bequeath it to your children if you don't know anything about it? Obviously. The only way you can bequeath it, you don't become a recipient of an inheritance, you have to be the one to pass on an inheritance. The only way you can pass on an inheritance is if you actually develop, accomplish something. So this is a, a commandment from a mayor's perspective or the Balatur's perspective. This is telling us about educating our children. And you know, from that, from that vantage point, maybe that's what the Gemara in Sukkah is talking about, or the Sifri in Parshas Eikev, when it says, when a, when a child begins, Maschil Adaber, Maybe that's, maybe he's even talking to the parents who are educating the child. Give the child the inheritance. Pass it on to him. But how does that become the first step in our Jewish journey? And that's our premise, right? Our premise is this is not to gesund. This is not just for children. This is not, this is not just fun and games. This is the core essence of Yiddishkeit. And the fact that the Rebbe chose this Pasuk as Pasuk number one, step one, means there's got to be a message here. So, you, you know, the Sephardo says that the way to understand this Pasuk is to see what it's framed by. What does it say in the previous Pasuk? So in the previous Pasuk it says, it talks about Afchovev Amim, it talks about the different nations, and it says, Vehem Tuku Liraglecha, Yisa Medabri Secha. They literally, they crowd at your feet, which means taking shadow, so to speak, in the mountain, and they take responsibility for fulfilling Medabri Secha, which comes from the word Dibur, which is the things you say, the things you talk, the things you utter, right? So the things, Hashem's words. Hashem's words. Okay, that's the idea of Yisa Medabri Secha. So the Sepharnu says, when he talks about this Pasuk, he says, if you want to understand this Pasuk, he says, this is a continuation of the Pesukim that it says before. Before it says that Medabere Secha, the words Hashem spoke, as it says, Vayishma Sakel Medabere Love, they heard the word, the mouth of Hashem, the words of Hashem speaking to Moshe. So that's the idea. That we should dwell on and focus on the words that God spoke at Mount Sinai. But if we're going to talk about the words that God spoke at Mount Sinai, don't you think we should say, What was our lowest moment in life? When we built the golden calf. That was our lowest national moment. What happened there? We forgot the two things we heard from Hashem. I am the Lord your God. Don't make other gods. So if there's something which should be the foundation of Judaism, especially like the Sepharno says, this is Medabar Yisecha, this is God's words. Well, if it's God's words, what words should it be? Anochi Hashem Alekecha. And I will wager, if I would tell you that the most important verse in Judaism, Anochi Hashem Alekecha, you would all shake your head sagely and say, yeah, that kind of makes sense. That is, after all, the only words we ever heard from God himself. But that's not the first of these passages. Why not? What, what's wrong with the idea of Anochi Hashem Elokecha, I am the Lord your God, if the emphasis here is the concept of Medabar Secha, God's words. 
You know, so the Ramban echoes kind of a sentiment that we read about from Rav Meir of Rottenberg. He says that this is a Morasha, this is a heritage for Kilas Yaakov. This is Ledorot Olam, this is for eternity, that Yeshua, they should inherit it, the Yishmarosa, and they should, they should keep it. But you know, the Pasuk of Vishinantam Levanecha, you should teach your children, probably is a more direct way of saying, make sure the next generation learns Torah, and make sure you teach it to them, and make sure you pass it on. It's not implicit in the words of Torah Sivalanu. So why would that become the barna and most important thing to say when we talk about Torah Sivalanu? Now, the, the truth is that the Gemara in Makis tells us about this Pasuk, that this verse actually emphasizes the notion that we did not get the Torah directly from God, we got it through Moshe Rabbeinu. The way the Rambam restates that Gemara in Makis, which is on page 23, at the end of side 2, the very end of the page over there, the Gemara says that there are 200, 600, pardon me, and 13 mitzvahs, Taryag mitzvahs, Nemer Lola Moshe Mishinai, the Rambam and Sefer mitzvahs, in his third mitzvah principle, in Sheresh HaShlishi, the Rambam says, the Torah, quoting the Gemara in Makas, he says, the word Torah, Tov Vav Resh Aleph, is the gematria of Tov Resh Yud Aleph, or 611. And the reason it's 611, not 613, is because Anochi and Lo Yilacha was not heard through Moshe Rabbeinu, but rather Mipi HaGivura Shamayinu. We heard that from God himself. And that's how we ended up with 613. We heard two from God and 611 from Moshe. You don't need to be an accountant to figure that out. 613. So that's the idea of Torah. Moshe Rabbeinu gave us Torah. So why would we emphasize a verse of what we got from Moshe? Why wouldn't we emphasize what we got from God? Why wouldn't we want to talk about the mitzvahs we got from God directly? I'm just asking. Like, why would that be the, the first and most important thing to say? Now the Rambam says something very interesting. He says a mitzvah which is eternally relevant... For that mitzvah, the terminology of heritage or inheritance is applicable. It applies. So when we're speaking about the proverbial 613, that's what's relevant for all eternity. There were certain commandments that the Jewish people received when they were in the desert, which were not binding for posterity. They were specific. They were for that moment. There are various commands in the Torah that Moshe Rabbeinu got, that Aaron got, that Miriam got. God speaking to the characters in the Torah, speaking to the people. But they were not permanent mitzvahs. The Levites had to be inducted into the service through a whole intricate process, included the shaving of their bodies from head to toe. That's not something that was applicable in later times. It's not one of the 613 mitzvahs. So the Rambam says, Lonikri Yerusha, we don't call this Yerusha, Ledover Hakayim Lederis, something which is eternally relevant. That's what the Rambam says. So perhaps the key here, in order to understand this properly, is the idea of Yerusha, because it says Torah Tzivalanu Moshe, we all know what Torah is, that's not an unusual word, okay, Torah is 611, combined with Anochi and Loyia, 613. But the Torah says that Torah Tziva, that's Morasha Kihilas Yaakov. That's a Morasha. So with regard to Morasha, the Rokeach, star pupil of Rabbi Yudah HaChosid, wrote nearly a millennia ago. He said, Ma Yerusha ain't la hefsik? Just as Yerusha, just as inheritance, does not get truncated at some point, 
In other words, if somebody's a great, 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 great grandchild, if he's the next in line, he's the next in line. You don't say, okay, you know, inheritance only goes for ten generations. There's no such thing. In theory, inheritance goes for as many generations as it is. As long as it's a direct bloodline, the inheritance applies. He says, Afa Torah. The same thing is with regard to the concept of Torah. So we have this idea that the Torah is being called specifically the concept of Morasha. Of Morasha. And as the, the Sifri says, the Medrash Halacha, and the way it's developed by some of the Mepharshim, they say that the point of the Torah of, of, uh, was given to us was not as a temporary gift. Quote Matana a gift for that time alone. It's not a historical narrative, meaning relevant once upon a time. But rather, but rather Yerusha Ilano. It is an heritage, an inheritance mimos olam. And that's that's what this is really all about. So let's say that there's a Pasuk in the Torah, a verse in the Torah that says, Anochi Hashem Elokecha, I am the Lord your God. Who is God speaking to when he said, I am the Lord your God? Who is he speaking to? Speaking to Bnei Yisrael. Which Bnei Yisrael? On a literal level, which Bnei Yisrael? The slaves, the people who came out of Egypt. He said to those people, I am your God. He said, Asher I took you out of Egypt. So those people, they were in Egypt, and God took them out of Egypt. That's who God was speaking to. So what does that have to do with me? What does that have to do with me if God spoke to people who came out of Egypt once upon a time? In what way does that engage me? What does it mean to me? Say, but it's your ancestors. Okay. My ancestors wore robes, used outhouses, Got water from a well. I'm really happy I have running water. I wouldn't give my flushing toilet away. I'm, I'm okay with that. My ancestors didn't have that. Well, that's, that's their problem, not mine. My ancestors spoke Russian. Before that, they may have spoken Spanish. So what? Do I care? That's good for them. I'll leave me alone. Let me live my life. What's the most important detail? What's the most important foundation of Judaism? What's the first thing I need to know as a Jew? The first thing that every one of us needs to know as a Jew is that this is about us. This is not a historical narrative about a proverbial, fabled, once upon a time people. This is not something God once said to somebody. This is something that's relevant for you and for me. In one word, the first and most profound statement about Judaism has to be relevancy. Judaism is eternally relevant. It's relevant. It's relevant in all times. It's relevant in every place. It's relevant to each and every one of us equally. It's not more, oh, you're religious. Okay, it's relevant for you. I don't do those things. The first thing we have to know, the very, very first principle, the foundation of all of our Yiddishkeit, is Moshe Rabbeinu, before he's about to bless us, before he's essentially going to hand off the leadership to the next generation, setting in motion the succession that will continue unabated generation after generation after generation until Mashiach comes. The last words that Moshe Rabbeinu says to the people as he begins his farewell blessing, the last thing he says about who's worthy for blessing, he says, Torah Tzivalanu Moshe, 
that this Torah that was given to us, commanded to us by Moshe, that the Torah that Moshe commanded is a Morasha. It's an inheritance. And it's for Kehilat Yaakov. Who is Kehilat Yaakov? Who is, who is the congregation of Jacob? So the Mincha Belula says, this includes converts. The converts, for the convert, Judaism is not less or more relevant. It doesn't matter if you're genetically Jewish or you join the Jewish people according to halacha, and there's a gear ka halacha, but if somebody is halachically Jewish, it doesn't say, it doesn't say Beit Yaakov, it doesn't say Zera Yaakov, it doesn't say House of Jacob, it doesn't say Seed of Jacob, Progeny of Jacob, DNA of Jacob, it says the Congregation of Jacob. The congregation of Jacob means the sum total, the composite of the Jewish people, wherever they will live, whenever they will live, wherever they will live. That congregation of Jacob has to know that the Torah is Morasha. The most important thing in Judaism is not the most profound state faith, uh, state, statement of faith. It's not the idea that God said these words to those people. Because no matter how profound, no matter how poetic, no matter how spiritual, if it's not relevant to me, then it's not relevant to me. Then it's just really nice, fascinating, cute, interesting stuff. But it doesn't talk to me. The most important thing for a Jew to know is that this is relevant. For me. For you. For every one of us. The Pasuk of Torah Tzivalonu which Moshe Rabbeinu was saying that the Torah was commanded to us, this is the idea that the Torah remains eternally relevant. That it's an inheritance. And it's an inheritance to each and every one of us. Who says Torah Tzivalonu Moshe? Abarbanel says this is what every prophet said. Every prophet spoke about Judaism. What is Judaism? Judaism is living a life of 613 mitzvahs. Like the Rambam says, quoting the Gemara of Marcus, that's the point. The point is there are 613 mitzvahs. God gave two of them to the Jewish people who were standing at the foot of Mount Sinai. And yes, the Medrash tells us we were all standing over there. But a lot of people say, oh yeah, right, I was standing there, sure. And what does that mean anyway? My soul was there. So my soul was in heaven. What does that mean? It has to be understood that there are explanations for it. But on a, on a simple level, that's not the first thing you start with. You come over to a Jew and say, hey, I recognize you. I think we stood together at Mount Sinai. He says, you should take medication. <laughs> what, are, what are you talking about? Like, you're delusional. You're hallucinating. So what's the most important thing? You walk over, you meet a Jew, and somebody discovers he's Jewish. He didn't know he was Jewish. He just discovered. I've seen things like this happen. What's the first thing you should tell him? Should you tell him there was once a man named Abraham? And he says, really? Oh, fascinating. How many years ago was that? You say 3,700 years he said, that's so cool. Please pass the ketchup. Or, when are they serving lunch? Because the ketchup is relevant. He needs ketchup for his french fries now. Or, when are they serving lunch is relevant. Or, is it over yet? Can I leave? That's like relevant. You start telling him Maiselach from 3,700 years ago. He's like, that's really nice. Thanks for the stories. What's the first thing you should tell him? What's the first thing every single one of us needs to know in his or her journey of Judaism? Bar none. The first, most important principle. This is relevant. As relevant now as it ever has been. <coughs> the Torah 
which Moshe commanded to us. That the Torah, which is comprised of 613 mitzvahs, has never had a 614th mitzvah, nor have we ever been allowed to subtract and say, now there are only 612 mitzvot. Yes, some of the 613 mitzvahs, maybe a lot of the 613 mitzvot cannot actually be fulfilled, but that doesn't mean they're not relevant. The Torah is eternally relevant. And that was for people once upon a time. That's your first mistake. The moment you think Judaism was for people who live once upon a time, you have missed the point of Judaism. The point of Judaism is, as Abarbanel says, all of the prophets said the same thing. In fact, Malachi, the last of the prophets, in the end of his book says, he sums up his own prophecies, his own message, his own eternal prophecies. He sums them up very simply. He says, he doesn't say, remember what I told you. He says, Zichru, Torah, Moshe, Avdi. That's almost the last verse of the Bible. The end of Tanakh. That's what it concludes with. Don't forget what God told us through Moshe. Moshe Rabbeinu. He gave it to us. He, he passed it on to us. So the words that Hashem said to us at Mount Sinai become eternally relevant because Moshe Rabbeinu gave it to us. And interestingly, we emphasize the terminology of inheritance. Why do we talk about inheritance here? On the level of Pshuto Shomikra, why don't we say, Torah Tzivolano Hashem, Mo Rasha Kilos Yaakov? The Rebbe says, because on a very literal level, in order to get an inheritance, what has to happen? Somebody has to die. You can't say, Hey, Eltazadi, I hope you live forever, but I like your inheritance today. It doesn't work like that. You could ask him for a gift, but your booby is not giving you an inheritance and continuing to live. So in other words, the idea of an inheritance requires some kind of terrestrial passing. It requires somebody leaving the scene and you moving into their place. But that's the big difference as it's talked about in Torah literature between a gift or a sale and the idea of inheritance. When you talk about a gift or a sale, an item is leaving jurisdiction A, namely the former owner, and it is now traveling to jurisdiction B, the new owner. Whether you paid for it or didn't, whether you received it as a gift or it's an acquisition, it's irrelevant. The point is the item, theoretically, conceptually, is moving from one jurisdiction to the next. When we talk about inheritance, the item doesn't move. The jurisdiction changes. The next generation simply occupies the position of the parents. The Canadian government doesn't like thinking about it that way because then they can't tax you. So they have to tell you that you're actually getting something. But it's not true. That's not true. That's not true from a total perspective. It's totally untrue. It's, there is no jurisdiction A to give to jurisdiction B. Jurisdiction A doesn't exist anymore. Or, more accurately, jurisdiction A has now been modified. Jurisdiction A is now occupied by another person. He is Jurisdiction A. That's, that's the ownership. The ownership is the next generation. They own it now. Now, we don't want to use that current kind of terminology about God. So therefore, we don't use the terminology about God. We emphasize Torah, Tzivolano, Moshe. Why do we have to use the terminology of inheritance? You know, with all the interesting things that I told you, I do, there are different mafarshim and different beautiful ideas, Whenever the Rebbe spoke about this Pasuk, he almost always said the same thing. Almost always said the same thing. He said that Yerusha, that inheritance, does not require maturity, 
It does not require achievement of virtue. What does, what does inheritance require? What do you need to be eligible to inherit? You need to be an inheritor. As long as you're a child, you inherit. That's all. Can a person inherit when they're a minute old? Yeah. Yeah, they could actually. 100%. Now, I understand that a baby is not going to be able to run his own affairs and maybe the government or the courts would have responsibility to protect his residuals and ensure that when he reaches normal age of maturity and he's able to deal with wealth, that he's going to take care of his own wealth. And if he wants to squander it after he's 18 or 13 or 21, that's his problem. I get that. But in theory, who owns it? The baby owns it. How much of it does he own? A piece of it? A part of it? Say he's an only child. All of it. How much of the Torah is relevant for me? How much of the Torah do I own? How much of the Torah is mine? All of it. So that part of the Torah is for Kabbalists. No, it's not. That part of the Torah is mine, just like it's anybody else's. I may not understand it. As the Rebbe once said, he said, you know, we have this idea of the cup that runs over. Now, you can have different size cups, but running over is a common, common denominator. The common denominator is your cup got full and it ran over. And as long as it's the same liquid, the water spilled over. So whether the cup was three liters or the cup was a milliliter, it doesn't make a difference. The point is, how much of you, Torah, you manage to contain, to grasp, to acquire, to learn, to develop? That's your business. That's your challenge, in fact. But the idea of the Torah being yours is an absolute concept. And that's the most important message. That's the foundation of Judaism. It's the first step in our Jewish journey has to come with a profound awareness. An awareness that you and I, every one of us, by virtue of the fact that he or she is Jewish, not Yisrael, which is a virtuous name, not even Yeshurun, which means upright, but Yaakov. Yaakov is the common denominator name. Yaakov represents all of us, including the sinners. The idea of Akiv, the heel. So it doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter what our accomplishments are. It doesn't matter what our affiliation is. It doesn't matter what our level of education is, or lack thereof. If we are halachically Jewish, we are the owners of this thing called the Torah. All of it. All of it. Because it's a Morasha. Because it's an inheritance. And since I own it, and since it's mine, and since all of it belongs to me, it's relevant. So in a word, the first step is you have to discover, you have to know, you have to believe that it's yours. It's relevant. Once you know it's yours, it's mine, it's relevant, then we can begin our journey. But no matter what kind of message you give somebody, he says, it's not mine, it's somebody else's story. They tell a, 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 a sweet metaphor. And the metaphor was about a, a simple person, what they used to call in Yiddish a yeshuvnik, like from the word yeshuv. A farmer, he lived in the Pale of Settlement, he made himself a living, but he had no time to study Torah. So they had the little schoolhouse on the prairie, and the different farmers would send their children, and they would hire a Torah teacher who was on some level of literacy, and he would try to teach the children so that 
before they went off to work on the farm at age 11 or 12, at least they could be literate. They wouldn't have to be like the previous generation. And, the, and this generation could afford it. They had already made a living. They lived on the Pale of Settlement. They got land. Right? So the story goes that one of these Yeshuvniks, these Jewish peasants, he gets a letter. He doesn't know how to read a letter. So he brings it to the Malamed to read the letter. The Malamed opens the page and he reads the letter and the Yeshuvnik faints. He promptly faints. And the child says, I don't understand. What did the letter say? He said, the letter said that his father died. He just got news of his father's death. So he fainted. So the boy said, he can't even read the letter. And he faints? And the other guy read the letter perfectly. How come he doesn't faint? What's the answer? Because it's not his father. You can read the Torah. You can read it all day. You can be fascinated by it. That's not mine. It's somebody's Torah. It's really nice Torah. It's a, it's a, it's a really interesting Torah. It's not my Torah. It's just a Torah. It's just a body of knowledge. If that's your approach to Judaism, you're not even on the right journey. You're on the wrong highway. You're in the wrong book. The Torah is not like Greek philosophy or Chinese philosophy or some other discipline. The Torah is a letter you got from your Father in Heaven. The Torah is yours. The Torah is relevant. And that's the first step in the journey. And only after we establish that as the first step in the journey, only then can we move forward. So what does Rashi say in his commentary when he talks about this Pasuk? This Pasuk that says, Morosha Kehilat Yaakov. So Rashi says, Torah, Asher Tzivalonu Moshe. The Torah, that God commanded to Moshe, Morosha He. That Torah is in in a bequeathment. It's an inheritance. It's a heritage. It's a legacy. To who? Lekihilat Yaakov, to the congregation of Jacob, and therefore, Achaznua Veloina We will hold on to it, we will hold it fast, we will not abandon it, we won't let it go. In other words, there could be something that was once relevant in my family, and it's not relevant anymore. So they were ready to fight for it, and I don't care about it. You have, they held fast, and I moved on. And you come to a person and say, but, but, but they fought for it. He said, they did. So what? I'm in the next generation. I turn the page on history. Rashi says, no. Because it's your inheritance, because it belongs to you, because it's yours, you're going to hold on to it. You're never letting go of this. The Rebbe, on a different occasion, asked the question, why does, why does Rashi use that unusual expression, achizah means to hold, to grasp. He says, why doesn't he say something like, keep it, watch it. Protect it, guard it. Why does he say hold it? And the Rebbe suggests that the, the Torah uses this kind of terminology when it refers to literal inheritance. In Parsha's Bahar, there's a discussion of an ancestral homeland, homestead, a piece of Israel. It's called a Sdeachuza, a homestead, a legacy farm, a legacy plantation. And he said, and this, and this, this field which you inherited, it always comes back to you. Even if you sell it, it comes back to you. When the Jubilee arrives, and we have the hard reset on the economy that the Torah mandates, it goes back, it reverts to the original owners. In other words, we're emphasizing the idea of it always reverting back. What happens sometimes when we have generations of Jews, sometimes two or three, maximum even four generations of Jews who don't study Torah, who don't care about the mitzvahs, who don't think Judaism is relevant? What happens? What happens is it bounces back. It boomerangs back. 
or sometimes the children simply disappear. They have nothing to do with Judaism anymore. So the only way people remain Jewish is they have, they're connected to the Torah. The only Jewish community that is continuous is the Torah Jewish community. Cultural Jewish communities come and go. And invariably, most of those who join different cultural movements, the children will bounce back. They will come home to the Torah or they will disappear. That's, that's the reality. In other words, when we talk about achaznuha, we're not just talking about holding fast to it. We're saying this is mine. It's an inheritance. It will come back to me. Because it's relevant. Because this, this is my life. This, this is me. And the Rebbe says, this idea of morasha, morasha, that's the emphasis. It's not just a gift. The Torah is a gift Hashem gave us. But the fact that it's, 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 it's a, it doesn't say a Yerusha, it's a morasha, it means that it is, by virtue of its being, an, an inheritance, a legacy, from generation to generation. The Torah doesn't go anywhere. We simply move into the place of our, our predecessors, of our ancestors. And the Torah is for kehila, for the congregation, for the gathering. We talked about in the Rishonim, the idea of all different kinds of Jews, whether they are born or whether they join the Jewish people appropriately. And it's the idea of Akev, it's Yaakov, on the lowest level. It doesn't make a difference. What matters not is who you are amidst the Jewish people, what your affiliation or background amongst the Jewish people is. What matters is that you're part of Kehillat Yaakov. And as long as you're part of Kehillat Yaakov, it's Morosha. It's your inheritance. And that, my dear friends, is the most important verse in the entire Torah. And that's the first step in our Jewish journey. And once we establish relevancy, it's mine, it's, it's meaningful for me, then we can begin our journey from Torah Tzivalonu Moshe, we move on, so, so what do we believe in? Now that I know it's relevant, I need to start educating myself. Let me now discover what is the message of Judaism? What does Judaism, what distinguishes a Jewish faith? What is the Jewish religion, if you will, really all about? And that will take us into step two, which is the Pasuk of Shema Yisrael.